are listening to the podcast of the White Church at the Elk River YMCA in Minnesota. Our mission is to seek Jesus, connect together, and share His love. God's wrath against mankind. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth of their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. Great. Thank you, Aaron, for reading. Well, I got to be on a ski trip with Aaron and a whole bunch of our students on Friday night at Powder Ridge. Took a little picture. Had just a blast out there together skiing. And I'm so thankful for Aaron. See some of our other adult leaders who just pour their life and time and affection into the lives of our students. They had such a fun time. Fun is maybe not the word that comes to mind as we take a look at the scripture reading this morning. This is a hard reading, and there are probably certain Sundays where you might cringe a little bit if you had invited a friend to come to worship for the first time. At the top of the list would be Financial Giving Sunday, right? Stewardship Sunday, and probably also a Sunday like this, where the subject is the wrath of God, not exactly a crowd pleaser. But I think, I want to suggest to you that that's really only on the surface, that we might feel that way. Personally, if I want a good, honest look at something, I want to see how it handles the hard stuff. You think about a truck commercial. You usually don't see a truck commercial where the Dodge Ram or the F-150 or maybe you're a Chevy guy, it it pulls through the drive-thru and is picking up a latte at the window. That's not a truck commercial, is it? A truck commercial is going to be a truck driving through a muddy ravine, just caked in mud, and it's pulling a double-axle trailer in a downpour. That's a truck commercial. You want to see what this thing can do. And so today we have some heavy lifting as we study this word together. But I hope that this appears genuine because it is, and I hope that it's an accurate demonstration of the truth and power of God's Word. Because that's a core conviction for us here at the Y Church. We don't want to dictate what we do and don't talk about. We simply want to follow God into His Word. And so if the Bible is talking about something, we have said here, then we should be talking about that something. And finally, one more point by way of introduction. I actually think that some of us will be quite surprised today at how moving and significant it is to talk about God's wrath against sin. And that sounds totally counterintuitive. I understand if you're skeptical about that thought. 
But there is something here that is both terrible and beautiful. And the more terrible it is, the more beautiful it becomes. There's something here that is awesome and terrifying in this passage. And that's why I've called the message today, Hard Truths and the Treasure Therein. So with that, we'll dig into Romans. We started this book a couple weeks ago. As we did, we pointed out we're going to really use this to anchor 2021 for us. So in the spring here, we're in the first half of Romans, and then the second half in the fall, we'll take a break in the summer months and be in the Gospel of Mark. But we felt it wise to split this book into two because the reading is thick and heavy, and it just takes a while. And in fact, we're not even going to get to all of the verses of Romans in our study, and I want to encourage you to fill in what we miss Sunday to Sunday, we can't cover everything that's here. In fact, next week when you return, we'll be in chapter 3 already. And so I encourage you to fill in the gaps and read the rest of 1 and 2 before we come back next week. But what we're holding here in our hands is one of the most consequential books in the history of the church. I think of Augustine. We talked about his life. Luther, Calvin, Tyndale, Wesley. I won't share any more of those stories today, but I do want to just mention something that Calvin shared along the way. Luther and Calvin are really the two most prominent figures of the Reformation. They never met in person. Calvin was 25 years younger, but was profoundly influenced by Luther. Luther in Germany and Calvin was born in France and then was in Switzerland. And really it was the book of Romans for both of them that became critical in unlocking the central tenet of the Reformation, that salvation comes by what? By trying to be a really good person and do a good job? No, salvation comes by faith alone in Christ alone. So reflecting on Romans, I want to show you what Calvin said. He said, if we have gained a true understanding of this epistle, we have an open door to all the most profound treasures of Scripture. And Luther felt so strongly about the importance of Romans that he said this, Romans is worthy not only that every Christian know it word for word by heart, but occupy himself with it every day as the daily bread of the soul. It can never be read or pondered too much. And the more it is dealt with, the more precious it becomes and the better it tastes. So when we pray later in our worship time together, give us this day our daily bread. I think that one of the ways God does that is through the nourishment of his word and through Paul's letter to the Romans. So I want to invite you to come today not begrudgingly or uninspired, but trusting that God will make the hard things plain by the power of his spirit. So what we're looking at today is essential for the understanding of the gospel. And that's where this passage begins. We pick it up in verse 18 as we have that before us, but we should remember that this isn't isolated on an island, but connected to all the things that Paul has already said that we've studied over the previous weeks. In fact, the NIV, which is usually the Bible that we reference most here, our blue Bibles that we would have out are are that translation, it omits the word that makes that clear. And the NIV is a good translation There are a good number of English Bible translations that are commendable. I don't know why they've skipped it. Here's what it says. It's this conjunction for. 
for the wrath of God is being revealed. Which would show us that Paul is linking this to what he's just said in verse 17. So we go up to where we were last week, and we read, For in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith. And then he makes the link. And in the Greek it says, For the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven. Now let's talk about wrath. Because I think that this is a word we struggle with because we misunderstand it. When we think wrath, we tend to picture someone who is out of control angry. Wrath is fly off the handle, red in the face, explosive kind of anger. Wrath is what happens when somebody loses their temper and they belittle someone and berate someone. You've probably seen some scary pictures of that before in your life. But that is not what we're talking about when we talk about the wrath of God. So let's grab the definition first from Merriam-Webster, and I think this will start to become clear. Wrath is defined as strong, vengeful anger or indignation. Note it's not out of control. Or secondly, retributory punishment for an offense or a crime. A couple weeks ago, there was an incident in Buffalo. And because we have all ages in worship with us this morning, I'm not going to go into the details of what happened, but many of you will know exactly what I am talking about that happened just shy of two weeks ago in Buffalo. And when you found out, and you found out who did it, and you found out about the wife and the mother in her 30s who lost her life, I am sure across this room that there was a righteous kind of anger that rose up inside of you. And now we're starting to get a sense of what we mean by the wrath of God. And I just want you to imagine, if that's how we feel, we who are sinful, fallen human beings, if that is our response to such an incident as we witnessed, then you can multiply it by an infinite magnitude and we are starting to get close to how God must feel about the mess that we have made in the world. God who is holy and perfect and created you and created that 38-year-old wife and mother and who gave you purpose in your life, he cannot remain indifferent in his goodness and in his justice when we destroy what he has created and live in active rebellion against him. And this has been our story since the Garden of Eden. Friedrich Schiller said, the history of the world is the judgment of the world. There is a crime that has been committed, an offense against God that is so deep that all of human history is the record on which it is written. There can be this idea, I think, that the wrath of God is an antiquated idea. It's probably why we hear it so little. It's called old-fashioned. You know, to think that God would be wrathful is incompatible with our enlightened modern mind. That we're so much more sophisticated today than people back in Bible times. You know, to think that God is this vengeful deity that's just waiting to zap us. But I want you to know this sentiment around us today is nothing new. You go back to Greek philosophers who were writing about this idea way back in their time. 
And in as early as the second century in church history, there was a theologian named Marcion who actually took the book of Romans in this passage and he deleted of God from this verse. Because he was fine talking about wrath, but he didn't want to attribute it to God, and so he wrote it out of his Bible. No, we're not more sophisticated in these things. We just don't want to hear it any more than they did. That I am a sinner. That I am actually in a more dreadful predicament than I am willing to admit because I have willfully scorned my Creator and brought havoc upon His creation. So I say, let anyone read the news and tell you that sin is an old-fashioned idea. Let anyone read the thoughts of our own minds and see the inner recesses of our hearts and insist that all we need is just a little brush-up, just a fine-tuning. No, the Bible says that we are morally bankrupt. That is the human heart. There is no good in it. And so rightly and according to his character, God will have nothing to do with sin. Imagine a judge ruling over a trial. Let's say like in this heinous crime that was carried out in Buffalo. And the judge then just standing up and dismissing the case because he shrugs his shoulders and says, I just don't think it's a big deal. The perpetrator's released and right there in front of your eyes walks out the door. There would be a moral outcry, wouldn't there? If that were to happen. And where does that come from, do you think? Where does this righteous anger, this feeling of justice come from? It comes from us being made in the image of God who is holy and righteous and true. 1 John 1.8 says, If we claim to be without sin, for some of you the old liturgy is coming back, I know. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. That's where Paul goes next. Look at the rest of verse 18 as we continue. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. And I want to make sure that we catch that there, that the truth is suppressed, it says. It's not skipped over or accidentally missed like a question on a test. No, this is intentional. It says we purposely hold down the truth. We stifle the truth. And we know the difference, don't we? I'll tell you just a funny little story from this weekend. Saturday morning, I took my kids to the bakery, downtown Elk River, to grab donuts. I'm serious when I tell you this is not something we normally do. So that's probably what led to the slight confusion on my part. I asked the kids what they want. They ordered their donuts. Lennox is last to go, and he orders the Baconator. Have you seen or had the Baconator? It's a maple long john with a strip of fried bacon laid across the top. Perfect donut for Lennox. So he orders the Baconator. It's all good, and our donuts are in the bag, and I'm going to pay, and what I did not realize is how much the Baconator costs. I mean, I just thought a donut is a donut. So, you know, kids, what do you want? And they place their order. But no, the Baconator costs $4. I about fell over when she said that. But, you know, in COVID, I mean, she grabbed it, she begged it, and I just, I didn't want to ask, you know, can you put it back? And we're going to change the order. So I, 
I said okay, and I paid $4 for a donut. Now Lennox, as we went out to the car, he thought he was in trouble. And as soon as I saw that, I, I said to him, no, buddy, it was such your fault. You didn't know. I didn't know the Baconator cost $4. I said, just to be clear, that's the last Baconator that you're ever going to have. <laughs> so enjoy it. But we know the difference, don't we? When something is on accident and when something is on purpose, the Bible knows the difference too, and it says that this is no accident. Humankind knows the truth and actively suppresses it. We are without excuse before God. That's what Paul develops next in the passage. He says, and I'm going to paraphrase some of this passage for us, he says, God has made it plain. He's not playing some cosmic game of hide and seek. He says in verse 20, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. Paul's saying to us, you can't claim ignorance on this one. I I didn't know. Just look at the snow-capped mountains, is what he's suggesting. Just look at the pine trees. Just look at the blue sky. I loved what one of our young men from church shared this week. And I asked him, Zach Palm, I I asked him if I could share the picture with you and and what he wrote about. This is Big Sky, Montana. And you know, pictures of mountains, it just doesn't do it justice. But this is Big Sky, Montana, where Zach was on a ski trip, and he wrote this. The beauty in this world the Lord has blessed us with is unmatched. Who told him that? God did, right? It's written all over his creation. Now, creation can't tell us everything about God, but it can tell you that he exists, that he made it. It can tell you something of his majesty and his power and his beauty. It can tell you that this world is more than just time plus matter plus chance. It can tell you that your life is more than just the byproduct of a primordial soup and a lightning strike. You ever stood in awe of the mountains like Zach did? You ever stood out and looked at Lake Superior? You ever stood and watched the ocean roll in and the waves crash on the sand? In big and small ways, God's creation is telling us about the artist. The poet Mary Oliver wondered out loud, who made the world? Who made the swan and the black bear? Who made the grasshopper? This grasshopper, I mean. The one who has flung herself out of the grass. The one who is eating sugar out of my hand. Who is moving her jaws back and forth instead of up and down who is gazing around with her enormous and complicated eyes. Paul says God's signature is all around us. In creation, yes, but also in your innate capacity to know him and in our moral conscience. You know, how do you know the difference between right and wrong before we can ever read about it in the Bible? 
because God made it that way. Scientific American did a piece called The Moral Life of Babies. All right, Scientific American is not a Christian publication. They did this piece called The Moral Life of Babies in which a psychologist from Yale detailed the moral responses of babies as soon as they are capable of coordinated movement, empathy, compassion, the soothing of others, and so on, observed in three-month-old babies. Paul says there's no excuse for saying you don't know God. And then reflecting on human history, he says, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. And that is the crux of where we are at. As a human race, this is what it comes down to. Our refusal to give glory or thanks to God. And that disposition then has a snowball effect that tumbles into every facet of our being. Paul says our thinking becomes futile, our hearts become dark, and we become fools. And all the while insisting that we are so wise and so advanced and so modern but we are so lost. And if that is the direction that you want to go, Paul says, here's the truth of it. God will let you go there. Verse 24, Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. Paul doesn't mince any words. Parodidomi is the Greek there. He handed them over. It is the equivalent word in the Old Testament when God would hand over an army to be defeated in battle. If you insist on the sinful desires of your heart, God will let you have it. He'll let you go there. Oscar Wilde wrote in the picture of Dorian Gray, I represent to you all the sins you have never had the courage to commit. It's a haunting line, isn't it? But God will let you go there if you want. The commentator Frederick Godet put it like this. God ceased to hold the boat as it was dragged by the current of the river. And so we pray for our country, don't we? You ever feel this? Just deep in your bones as the current pulls on this land that we love? How long will God hold the boat? Do you think about these things? But it starts right here with me and you grappling with our own sin before a holy God. A number of years ago, I cited this funny little story. We need a couple more funny stories today, don't we? So maybe you've heard it, maybe you remember it, but it's worth repeating. It's a good one. At the turn of the 20th century, the London Times sent out an invitation for essays on the topic What's wrong with the world today? So they printed it and people could submit their response. One of the respondents was the writer G.K. Chesterton. And here's what he sent in. Dear sir, regarding your article, What's Wrong with the World? I am. Yours truly, G.K. Chesterton. It's great British humor. We have to be honest about the truth of our situation. That apart from Christ... I am what is wrong with the world. That apart from Christ, this is where we're at. 
that when we reject the truth of God, we rightly incur his wrath. I don't know how to preach this scripture to you and go around that. This is the central component of what Paul writes in this passage. When we reject the truth of God, we rightly incur his wrath. And if it were any softer or any different than that, we wouldn't need the gospel. The good news is only good because there is exceedingly bad news that precedes it. And sometimes we wonder why people might be bored with church or disinterested in matters of faith. I think sometimes, and culturally certainly, we sometimes beat around the bush and tell them that their life is really not that bad. That it just needs a little brush up, a little fine tuning. But you know, if I don't need to be rescued, if I don't need to be rescued from sin and death and hell, then I've got better things to do on a Sunday morning. But isn't that the truth? You could be sleeping in. I could be ice fishing. If I don't need to be rescued, then we might as well do something else. The gospel is not a pat on the back for people who are trying to give it their best shot or be good citizens. No, it is the life-saving measure of God's grace by which my sinfulness is dealt with. Luther and Calvin were absolutely clear on this. That there is nothing good in me apart from the saving grace of God. And that is the gold mine that we find in the dark caves of God's wrath. This is the treasure, isn't it? It's God's mercy. And we have to look at these things. A sermon on God's wrath can never just be about wrath. God is never just doing one thing at a time. And so we don't preach wrath, 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 or mercy, mercy, mercy. But he holds them up and he says, look, God's wrath and his mercy. It's his judgment and his grace. It's my sin and his gospel. The hard truth of God's wrath against sin makes the gospel our greatest treasure. Jesus said once that the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. And when a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, you remember what he did? He went and sold everything that he had so he could buy the field. Is the gospel your greatest treasure? Have you found it yet? And do you know what it means to run in the fields of his mercy? Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we confess before you that apart from Christ, we are hopelessly lost and we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. And we confess, Lord, that all too often we have made light of our sin and we are actually in desperate need of your grace and forgiveness. And so what joy, Lord, 
What joy as we read of your wrath that we also read of your mercy and its riches. That you would see us in our sin and still choose to save us. Your love and your kindness, Lord, is beyond compare. We don't deserve it. And we are so grateful that you made a way, that you sent your son, that you settled this debt. And across this room, Lord, may we be people who will always sing of your praise till the whole earth knows that there is a God who is holy and merciful and awesome. We stand before you now. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Y Church podcast. For more information about the Y Church, check us out online at thewychurch.org.